Thanks for checking out sermons from Pleasant Valley Community Church. We hope these messages encourage, convict, and inspire you to love and follow Jesus more faithfully as we seek to saturate our city with the hope of the gospel. Our online resources are meant to serve you, but they aren't a replacement for the face-to-face relationships that we were built for. So we really hope that if you're in Owensboro, you'll join us in person on a Sunday morning. And if you live elsewhere, you'll find a local church in your community where you can put down roots and find family. For more resources and to give financially to support the missions and ministries of Pleasant Valley, find us on social media or visit our website at www.pleasantvalley.cc. Welcome, and we're so glad you're here with us this morning. We are going to be in Proverbs chapter 3, so if you want to go ahead Get out your Bibles, turn to Proverbs chapter 3. That's where we'll be today. Uh, One quick reminder is that next Sunday is actually our Senior Recognition Sunday. Um, So that's where we commission many of our graduating seniors to go to that next stage of life, to take Christ and the gospel uh, to the world and uh, and just encourage them, pray over them. So if you want to be here for that next Sunday, we will be doing that. Um, I wanted to, before we begin, just start with a posture Uh, of humility before the Lord, um, to recognize that we're about to look at God's word. Um, And so up on the screen, we're gonna have a prayer um, that I would like for all of us just to corporately utter together um, out loud, just to prepare us as we study God's word. So that'll be up on the screen. So let's read this together. God, what we know not, teach us. What we have not, give us. What we are not, make us. And transform us into the likeness of your son. Amen. So as we dive into this passage, I was uh, thinking back on my teenage years when I was uh, in high school, I was in the band and I played in the percussion. Um, I wasn't the cool percussion, I was kind of the nerdy, dorky percussion, but that's okay. Um, I played the cowbell and xylophones and stuff like that, but anyway, you can make fun of me later. Uh, But uh, as I gained this knowledge and understanding of what it means to play percussion, I started to jump on a drum set, so much like we have up here. Um, And so I started learning how to play the drum set. And as I was learning, I was invited to start playing in a worship band in my youth on Wednesday nights. Um, And so I would play, uh, and I I was was very simple, very basic, because I really didn't know what I was doing. I didn't have quite the knack for it or the, the, the naturalness to it. I just had a very uh, rudimentary understanding of the drums. Well, but I kept receiving affirmation, right? People kept saying, hey, keep going, keep practicing. We're gonna, we're gonna get you there. You're gonna be a better drummer over time. Uh, and so just keep at it. So that was, that was great encouragement. I was so thankful for that because I, I wanted, my dream was to be, you know, a, a full-time drummer in a worship band. That's what I was hoping for in my future. And so people just kept encouraging me in that direction. And so I kept going. I kept pursuing this thing. And one of the things though is that's great. We love encouragement in our lives, but often it's when we're pursuing something or pursuing our dreams and what we long for and someone comes in and says, hey, don't, yeah, don't, don't do that anymore. Like it's, that, that's done. Like you're, you need to stop doing this. You need to go in a different direction. That's when things get difficult. And I'll share with you guys, as we grew in our, our worship band, we would uh, go play at various churches just to practice. We'd practice for hours on end. We would actually start playing at about 8 p.m. and we wouldn't stop until 2 a.m., 
And we would just play songs over and over and over and again, and, and we kept getting better. Well, one of the guys that joined our, our band, uh, he was our like lead singer, right? And uh, he played acoustic. He was a very good guitarist. Uh, and he was, uh, we started to notice like something doesn't sound right. Like every time he goes to hit those notes, it, it just doesn't sound right. And over time, what we realized was, man, you know, I, he might be a little bit tone deaf. Like your, our lead singer might not be able to hit, you know, those notes. And that's okay. If you're in this room and you identify with him and you're like, I'm in that crowd, I'm in the tone deaf crowd, like make a joyful noise, okay? When we sing and worship, no judgment. It's all about your heart and posture towards the Lord, okay? I've actually considered maybe we should have a section for you crowd, you know, for all the joyful noise people in the house. But um, anyway, but he was in that crowd. We were like, man, I don't know if you're, like that's an uncomfortable conversation to have. So we sat him down. We gave him the compliment sandwich. You know, we, we were like, hey man, like we love you. You're great. We love your heart for this. But man, like there's just something not quite right about your singing. He didn't take it well. Um, and it was a very hard conversation. And why? Because, because in his mind, that was his dream, right? He wanted to be this. He wanted to be that. He wanted to be a singer. And we were saying, hey man, like I don't think this is for you. Like maybe some background kind of stuff might be good for you. You know, it was a hard conversation, but that that actually gets at all of our uh, our ourselves, right? Our, our sinful nature. It, it kind of, we directly can relate to this conversation because maybe some of you have, have experienced this with other people where someone comes to you and says, hey, maybe this isn't for you, and yet it was something you were longing for, and it was super uncomfortable to hear that. And, um, and, and sometimes we have to have those hard conversations. Well, with the scriptures, with the Bible, with the Proverbs specifically, God gives us commands for our life and says, hey, this is what the Bible is. It puts on display Jesus Christ as the main character of the entire story, but it also shows us how to live. And often scripture says, do this, don't do this. Make sure you love the Lord and don't and, and, and love your enemies, don't hate your enemies. And the, the, the commands of scriptures are very difficult. And so today, our main point, it's not in your notes, so if you wanna write this down, it's gonna be up on the screen. Today, the main theme throughout the, the third chapter of Proverbs is this, living under the commands of God in love is our best life. Living under the commands of God in love is our best life. So that's where we're gonna be today. It's gonna be uncomfortable for some of the, the message today because it is going to challenge us in the way we live and where God is commanding us to go in our lives. So we're gonna start with Proverbs chapter one, verse one, just to restate the context of the entire book of Proverbs. It is the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. And so we want to read that and remember that the book of Proverbs was written mostly by King Solomon, who was the wisest king of Israel. And these commands, these Proverbs, wise sayings for living a godly life were written specifically to the kingdom of Israel, the people of Israel, the Hebrews who were God's chosen people throughout the Old Testament. And we're gonna talk a little bit more about that in a second. But as we look at these Proverbs, this is uh, what's called wisdom literature. So these are wise sayings. And, and what these are, and this is another, we're gonna have another quote up here. This is from a few weeks ago. Wisdom, so wisdom literature, is the application of God's will to the nitty gritty of life. 
And what that means is, is that these are the wisdom is basically how to order your steps as you are making daily decisions for your life, for your relationships, for your family, for your occupation. And so that's what this wisdom literature is for. So point number one, God's teaching commands and discipline, sorry, God's teaching commands and discipline are evidence of his love and delight for you. God's teaching commands and discipline are evidence of his love and delight for you. Verse one, we're gonna look at verses one and two first. And it says this in chapter three, my son, do not forget my teaching, but have your heart comply with my commandments for length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Now this initial verses sets the tone for the rest of the passage and it starts with my son, do not forget my teachings. And so as we read chapter three, we need to think and have this mindset as though we are sitting with God the Father, uh, we're, we're on the floor with our legs crossed and we're we're looking up at God the Father and he is, he is giving us wisdom for life and he is looking at us and he's saying, my son, do not forget my teaching. And so this is the first kind of admonition of this passage that the one true father is speaking to his children and he's saying, do not forget my commands. And so when we look at this word son, we immediately need to think of a familial relationship with God. We need to remember before we study any further that at the end of the day, everyone who has been saved in Jesus Christ is made a child of God. Because of what Christ has done, you now call God Father and you are a child of God. That is your relationship with him. And this sets the tone for everything else we are about to read because we need to look at our father as the good father, the capital G good father, the perfect father, the holy father who knows and wants what's best for you and wants what's best for his children. Now, here's the reality when he encourages us not to forget. The reality of our sin nature and our brokenness is we are prone to forget. We are prone, each and every one of us are prone to forget the commands of God. We are prone to forget or even ignore commands of God or the laws and scriptures and God's word. And the reason why God is admonishing us in this way is because he knows he knows our proneness to forget. In fact, if we look at Israel, Israel's the perfect example. In fact, as the Israelites are hearing the Proverbs spoken over them from a priest who's reading them from a stage or from up on high on the side of a mountain or something like that, as they're listening to these Proverbs read over them, you know that Israel is keenly aware of their history. Israel is keenly aware of all of the moments that they did what was right in their own eyes. They turned from the command of God and they turned to their own way. God disciplines them, puts them in slavery under an, an enemy king to discipline them and remind them of the fact that following God's commands is the best path for our life. And so the Israelites, you know, they're remembering all of the moments where they, they were disciplined, they repented, they cried out to God and God saved them. And they remember all of those instances throughout their history. And it's just a reminder to each one of us that the same sin nature that dwelt in the Israelites is the same sin nature that dwells in us. And our daily proneness is to wander from the commands of God. 
We are all prone to walk away from the commands of God and forget. And so what comes with forgetting God's uh, and his commandments is a lack of complying. He encourages, he says, but have your heart comply with my commandments. In other words, that, that your desires would align with the commands of God, that, that you would follow what he has asked you, not just to remember them or study them, but then to apply them to your life. To say, God, this, let, let your commands transform the way I live. And if we, if we don't forget the commands and keep them in front of us, then we will, we will then want to apply them as God d- pushes us and drives us and convicts us of where we have not kept his commandments. And so this is setting the tone for the rest of this passage. This is the ultimate goal, right? The ultimate goal is that we would become more like Christ. We would be children becoming like Christ. And now the passage here says, for length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. So this is the practical outcome of following where God would have you go. Now, this does not mean that you are going to, like if you, so you've applied all the Proverbs to your life. You've got the whole book memorized. You did it all. Does this mean that you are going to live until you're 110 years old? No, we know the facts of life, okay? We know that we have an expiration date, every single one of us, some sooner than others, that all of us will pass away, this, this body, this broken body that decays. Some of you have decayed others more than others. Um, and so for many of us, we know that the end is coming someday. What this means though, and with wisdom literature, sometimes when you read this, it means actually a full life. So not necessarily that you're gonna live till you're 110, but rather you are going to live a full life marked by peace. So it's, it is a full life marked by peace as you follow God's commands. Now let's keep moving forward. One of the pitfalls, and some of us will fall into this category, as we read and look at the commands of God, sometimes we have a very rote and staunch, this is right, I must do it, Otherwise, God will be angry with me. That's, that's some of our proneness in our souls is to follow God's commands because we think it's going to earn a better standing with God, that it's going to earn uh, our salvation or it's gonna earn God's love for us. But what, what we don't wanna divorce from following God's commands is the motive and the heart behind following God's commands. So let's see where he goes here. Verse three, he says, do not let kindness and truth leave you, or in some of your, your translations, it's gonna say love or loving and faithfulness. Don't let it leave you. Bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart so you will find favor and good reputation in the sight of God and man. So as we comply with God's laws and commandments, we should never do so. We should never follow God's commandments apart from love apart from faithfulness, apart from kindness. All of these words are very similar to one another. But in other words, we are, Christ-likeness, becoming like Jesus, does not mean that you just start doing all the right things. It means you're, do, you're, you're pursuing the commands, but you're doing so out of a heart of love. And this finds its foundation in, uh, in the gospel, The gospel message says that when Christ has saved you from your sin, when Jesus has rescued you from your sin, when you've been forgiven of your sin, it says that you now have, once you had a heart of stone, now you have a heart of flesh. You have a heart of love. 
that Christ-like love that was shown to you on the cross by your good father. In fact, Paul says in Romans 7, wretched man that I am who will save me from this body of death. And then he says, thanks be to God, it is through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so our hearts are transformed in Christ to long for the things God longs for. And we do all of these things in kindness and love. Imagine the difference between someone who follows the commands of God, but has no love versus someone who follows the commands of God, but his life is marked by kindness and faithfulness. That's a very different way to live your life. In fact, I would say you could probably uh, ask people around your workplace. You could probably ask your family members if your following Christ is marked by a, a, a meanness, a judgmental state of mind and heart. I would ask people around you, do you see my life being marked by the love of Christ as I follow God's commands? And here's, and here's what will happen. And this is what can tell you whether or not you are following Christ's commands in love is it says this verse four. So you will find favor and good reputation in the sight of God and man. So in other words, your reputation will be one marked by love. There will be people who, no matter what, as a general principle, will judge you because you follow Christ. There will be people who won't like the fact that you don't engage in gossip. There will be people that don't like the fact that you, you walk away from sin instead of walking towards it. But in general, as a guiding principle, people look at you in your workplace, in your family, in your neighborhood, and they see something is different about this person. And that's what happens when we follow God's command in loving kindness is that it changes the way people see us, that we have a life marked by peace with God, but also with others. And this is what is happening in the book of Proverbs, that, that God is drawing us to a different life. And so my question for you, I guess, just as a first application is, how do people view you? Are, are you, are you known as the angry person? Are you known as the complaining person? What is your reputation before others as you follow Christ? Now, I like this verse. There's multiple words in different translations, but the word faithfulness and truth are used as kind of synonyms here. And what this means is, is are you a person that your words match your actions? Someone who, when you say, I follow Christ, does your life match what it looks like to follow Christ? What is your reputation? Is it one marked by Christ-likeness and, and love? And then I wanna sandwich this. So uh, all of these things in general, uh, so if you look at the chapter three, you'll notice that there's kind of a, uh, a whopper going on here. So I'm gonna use whopper as the example. So there's the first verses that we just read is kind of the piece of bread on top. Okay, and then on the bottom is verses 11 and 12 that is the bottom piece of bread. These two pieces of bread are very similar in nature. They're a little different. So verses 11 and 12, we're gonna take these first before we get to the meat, okay, the juicy beef in the middle. I know some of you are thinking about it now. Um, and so we're gonna take the bread and explain those and it'll help us understand the middle, okay? So the bottom piece of bread says this, my son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof for the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. 
So this is very similar to the first verse. Notice that it starts with my son. He's re-introducing he's re, uh, uh, this idea of him being a loving father to a child. And he's saying, do not despise the Lord's discipline. This discipline is not God's wrath. It's not God's punishment for our sin because that was taken care of in Jesus on the cross. But rather, this is another way in which God's word disciplines us so that we will get back on the right path where God would have us to go. Following his commands. Another way that God helps us to follow his commands is through discipline. And for some of us, we are in a season of the Lord's discipline. Some of us sitting in this room are discouraged. We're beat down by the consequences of our actions. We are daily feeling this conviction that we are, we are in sin. We are struggling with sin or we're struggling with the consequences of our sin and we are tempted to despise the Lord's discipline because it hurts. God's discipline is not always a pleasant thing. We do not want to grow weary of this reproof because the discipline of the Lord says something to you. A consistent discipline of the Lord should say something to you. And what Hebrews tells us is it reminds us that we are true children of God. God's discipline in your life is God saying, I'm not going to let go of you. Even though you're suffering right now, I'm not going to let go of you. Why? Because I love you. I am your father. And listen to this. Not only does he love you, he delights in you, according to Proverbs chapter 3, verse 12. God is saying to you in his discipline, in his commands for you in the scriptures, I love you and I will not let you go. And this is what I love about God's love for us is that while we are tempted on a daily basis to see the worldly things around us and say, actually, this will make me happy. This will bring me joy. This will bring me pleasure. We daily want and long for things. God continually says, no, listen, I love you and I have a better way for you. I have a way that is marked by peace, where you will live a full life marked by peace. I don't give you commands to take away all the fun things that you want to do. I give you commands because I love you and I care about you. I care about your future. I, I care about, I care about your, your growth in Christ's likeness. I want you to reap the benefits of living a full life marked by peace and a good reputation with other people. And the big farce in our world, they, that our world tells us that there are a hundred other things that we need in order to be happy. And God says, no, 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 no. Come to my word, study my word, and let me show you what a full life looks like. And these verses are so uh, convicting for many of us who, uh, I, I would say this is something I struggle with. I know many of you struggle with this as well, but I think this is actually one of the reasons, verse 12, verse 11 and 12, one of the reasons that, one of my, probably one of my main reasons that I have had days where I've avoided the scriptures, where I've avoided my Bible. And I know many of us have felt this in this room where I have avoided doing a quiet time because I know that when I open up the Bible and it's living and active like a double-edged sword and it convicts me, 
I know that when I open it, it's gonna tell me a bunch of stuff that in my flesh I don't want to do. It's gonna tell me to repent. It's gonna tell me that I've been living in sin. And often that's one of the reasons we don't crack our Bibles open because we're so scared of what it's gonna tell us. And what God is saying is, no, 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 no. Don't forget my commands. Don't despise my discipline. I have something better for you. Point number two, leaning on your own understanding is not trusting and acknowledging God. Leaning on your own understanding is not trusting and acknowledging God. Now I wanna pause for a moment before we dive into verses five and six. These are some of the most quoted verses. Uh, and, and in fact, it's probably one of the most common posters you've seen on somebody's, uh, you know, on somebody's wall at their house. You've probably seen one that has like two sets of footprints in the sand and all of a sudden there's one set of footprints and that's Jesus carrying you and you're trusting in the Lord, you know, all that stuff. So I wanna just talk about the dangers of, of you know, sometimes cherry picking verses, pulling verses out of uh, the, the context of the whole uh, of, these, of this section of, of chapter three. One of the dangers with this is this becomes kind of a, a, a cheesy line that we use when in reality, these verses are actually a little bit of an admonition and somewhat of a rebuke for many of us in this room. So these verses are not just like lighthearted, like, hey, trust in the Lord and he's gonna give you success. Trust in the Lord and he's, he's going to, he's got you, God's got this. Like those are, those are good things to say, God's got this. Those are, those are nice things to say, but, but we wanna make sure that we're not missing the meaning of this text. So it says this, trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. So the, verse, the first part of verse five says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. In other words, what, what this means is it's, it's doing a comparison, we're doing one of two things. We are either trusting in the Lord or we're leaning on our own understanding. What this means is, is that leaning on our own understanding is our own understanding for what God has us to do on a daily basis. So trusting in the Lord is laying all of your family, your success, your business, your life decisions on the shoulders of God. Everything that you are, you are laying it on the shoulders of God. You're laying it in his arms and saying, God, I trust you, command me. So this is trusting God with all of yourself Lean not on your own understanding. And then it says, in all your ways, acknowledge him. And so with these verses, what it's saying is, is that we need to have the mind in our life. So acknowledging him can also mean experiencing his presence or just recognizing God is with you all the time, every day as a child of God. This is acknowledging God, trusting God with all of who you are. And it is basically saying, God, you tell me what to do every day in all my decisions. You are with me. You're speaking to me. I acknowledge that you are here. I acknowledge who you are in your character. Tell me what to do. And it's saying, trust him with that. He loves you. He delights in you. Trust him that his way is better than yours. Acknowledge that God has a plan for you. Acknowledge that God might order your steps in a different way than what you expected him to order those steps in. 
So I'll give you a, a quick example. I go to I go to the gym uh, a few times a week and I try to exercise and all of that. And, um, and it's like a de-stressor for me. It's, I, many of you are the same. It's, it's just really good for my psyche to go in and like, you know, physical exertion, all of that. Um, and so I go in, you know, try to be in there uh, daily, but sometimes I miss, you know, that, that type of thing. Um, so I work out on the Y. If y'all wanna join me, love to have you. Um, but, but I go in and, and, you know, my typical mode is this. I'm driving to the gym I'm, I'm thinking about, okay, what am I gonna do today? I need to probably warm up, probably do some cardio, and then I need to like hit the weights a little bit. Um, and so I'm thinking through all the things I'm gonna do at the gym. Now this sounds like a, a, a silly example, but it, but it really is something I've been convicted over uh, over the last you know couple of years um, on certain days. And, and what I do though, I've been going to the Y for a long time now, and so I know a lot of people in the gym. I know their names. I know some of their history, their background. We've kind of become friends over the years of me going in there. And I noticed that there are times whenever I'm headed to the gym, I'm thinking about what podcast I'm gonna listen to while I work out. I'm gonna put in headphones. I'm gonna work out. It's gonna be great. And then I'm gonna shower and I'm gonna leave. And oftentimes when I get to the gym, I go in, I do exactly that. I've already got my headphones on and I've scanned in to the Y and I go and start lifting weights or working out or whatever. And one of the things I've been convicted about is that I've gone in, I've done what I wanted, and I left. And I probably encountered 20 to 30 souls while I was in there. 20 to 30 people, I probably passed, no no half of their names, didn't say a word to them, maybe wave at them, smile at them. I work out and I leave. Now, what's wrong with that? What's wrong with that is that the gym is literally the perfect opportunity to see what God might have for me. And what I did in the car on the way to the gym was think about myself. It was my own understanding of what I wanted. It was my own wisdom that I had. And I just thought about me. And I went into the gym and I'm so so convicted by this because I went in the gym and I worked. Is there anything wrong with working out? No. Can I do that and share Jesus Christ with someone who doesn't know him? Yes. Did I consider that? No, there have been times when I haven't even thought about it. That is, that is so selfish. That's so me focused. And I'm not saying, God, when I walk into this gym, what miraculous and heavenly thing do you want to happen in my interactions with other people? How am I supposed to show love to people if I'm just putting on my headphones and ignoring every person in the gym? That's such a seemingly... Uh, you know, innocuous example of like going to a place that's just like, well, you just want to work out, man. Just want to put your headphones in it. And yet, and yet there are lost people sitting right next to me that I could talk to. I know their names. I know information about them that we could easily kick up a conversation and I could share Jesus with them or I could just love them in a very specific way. But this is a way that I'm not acknowledging God's presence in the gym. I'm not expectant of him to do something there when God has a whole story, a whole path. And this is what's really convicting about these verses is often we read and he will make your path straight. We read that verse as though it is and God will give you success in everything you do. But that's not what those words mean. Your straight path that God is making for you is his will for your life. And are you on that path or are you on one over here on the side that says your name written all over it? 
Let us be convicted today and repent and say, my life is not for me. It's not for my will, but it's for your will, God. And let us repent and turn back. And then practically in, in, uh, in this verse, the way we trust in God goes back to the original verses we read. It is, don't forget my commands. Be in my word. Pray, spend time with me. When you go to the grocery store, when you go to the gym, when you go to a family gathering, are you thinking ahead, God, you could do something here? And are you praying for that, longing for that, asking God to show you what is the path you would have for me? And what will end up happening is, is you will then change the way you make decisions. And we're gonna see that here in a second. I don't wanna jump ahead. But point number three, this one's gonna be very short. It's very similar to verses seven and eight. It's very similar to five and six. But leaning on your own wisdom leads to evil and away from fearing the Lord. Leaning on your own wisdom leads to evil and away from fearing the Lord. And it says, verse seven, do not be wise in your eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. And so here in this verse, he's saying the same thing. He's saying, trust in the Lord. Do not lean on your own understanding in verse five. And then in verse seven, he's saying, do not be wise in your own eyes, but fear the Lord. These are, this is basically synonymous. He's restating this all over again, that, that when you acknowledge God and you trust God, you are putting him in his rightful place. To fear the Lord in a healthy, godly way is to say, God is king. He has commands for my life and I am to lovingly and kindly follow through on those commands and comply with them. And so he says, turn away from evil, turn away from selfishness of doing what is wise in your own eyes. But then this last part in verse eight, just to clarify, when it says it will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones, this is not talking about your physical body and your physical bones. This is talking about the innermost parts of who you are. You will feel refreshed as you do what the Lord has commanded you to do. And again, another way that God commands us because he has a better way, because he loves you, he delights in you. And then point number four, and this is where we're gonna close. Trusting and fearing God brings change in where you show honor. Trusting and fearing God brings change in where you show honor. So we're gonna sum everything up into verses nine and 10. What happens when you think of God first and not your will, when you, when you acknowledge God first and you recognize who he is, that he deserves all honor and glory with your life and your possessions, what happens is, is you then become more and more willing to give up the things or be okay with losing the things most precious to you. And one of the, one of the specific examples here is honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce. So that's verse nine. Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. And we're gonna clarify that in a second. But what happens when all of a sudden we are longing for the things God longs for, then our money becomes just a thing that belongs to God. If we are acknowledging God's kingship in our life, that means he owns you and he owns all of your wealth. He owns all your money, all your produce. It's his for his, for his glory. And he gets to command what we do with the things most precious to us. 
And, and I think this is something that's super unpopular. And I, and I, here, I want to be clear about this, that, that in America, one of the things that we love the most about living in America is freedom, right? Many people have paid with their blood. Thousands and thousands and hundreds of thousands of people have paid with their blood for the freedom that we have in America. And that is, that is such good news. And we ought to celebrate that. But at the same time, I think something that is so deceptive in America is that we say, I will do with my possessions and my time what I want to do with my possessions and my time. I'm a free American. We love to say that, and that's great, but there needs to be an umbrella caveat with that statement. The umbrella caveat of that statement is that we actually have a king and a commander who tells us what to do with our money and possessions and family. And we need to be ready as we encounter God to those things become less and less important to us. And then they become about God's glory and for him. And you will see immediate change in your life as you submit yourself to God and trust him. And you will see so much that you can sacrifice for God's glory. And the end of this verse is not saying at all that God is gonna give you a mansion and millions of dollars in the bank. If you you just keep giving sacrificially, God's just gonna keep on giving you more and more money, millions of dollars and all these sorts of things. What this verse is communicating when he says, give your first fruits of your produce and then your barns will be filled is he's saying, listen, I will take care of you. He's saying, I will take care of you the rest of your life. I will give you what you need when you need it. And notice this says filled with plenty, filled with plenty. That means enough. You will be given enough so that you can live your life out for the rest of your days as you give sacrificially according to the will of God. In Matthew 6, the seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you as well. And this comes right after God saying, don't worry. Don't worry about tomorrow. Don't be anxious about tomorrow. As I command you to sacrifice, I will take care of you. Now to sum all of this up as we close, Christian, the command here is, are you daily, daily wrapping yourself in the word of God? Are you acknowledging God daily? Are you spending time in God's word? And do you go to God's word expectant for those commands to transform you? And do you have a posture? Do you have a posture in your quiet time of recognizing that God loves you and delights in you even when he disciplines you? So let's pray and ask God to order our steps according to his will and his commands and not our own. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, God, let all of our prayers today be. Show us the way you want us to go, not the way we want to go. Show us what you have for us. God, I pray that you would convict us where we run from your commands, where we forget your commands, or we despise your discipline, God, convict us and let us recognize that commands and discipline are all an act of loving kindness from you. God, show us. God, I pray that if there's anyone in here, Father, that needs to be convicted of just ongoing rebellion, God, convict their souls by the power of your spirit. Let them go confess to someone and share that sin with someone that needs to hear it. God, please watch over this time of singing and let us just remember 
your love and delight in us that you show us most of all in your son, Jesus Christ. In your name we pray, amen. Thanks for checking out sermons from Pleasant Valley Community Church. For more resources and to give financially to support the missions and ministries of Pleasant Valley, find us on social media or visit our website at www.pleasantvalley.cc.